things that define you as a person and who taught them to you and where did they come from? And invariably, most people will say my grandmother or my grandfather, or I remember cooking, or I remember the stories and that they are what you hold closest to your heart for who you are. And it is the reason why I advocate for the work that we do because it is so fundamental. You're listening to Seeking Refuge, a podcast sharing the human stories of refugees. Today's guest is Sarah Green, the founder and director of Art for Refugees in Transition, which is abbreviated to ART in this episode. She talked with us about how she became interested in refugees, started art, and what art's plans are for the future. Your host for today is me, Diana Clark. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Oh, thank you, Diana. I'm so honored to to be here and to speak with you and um, everybody else who's going to hear this. So first off, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I probably the most important thing you want to know is how I started the organization. So I was, but pre that, I was born uh, in New York City, uh, stayed here through college, uh, before college, through high school. Um, went to college at Ohio State in Columbus, Ohio, and I have a degree, a BFA in dance and a BA in American history. And after I finished college, I moved to France to dance with a modern dance company for a year. And then I moved to Minneapolis to dance with a company for a year and then moved back to New York, where I danced for another eight years, eight, nine years in New York for various companies, uh, performing and doing workshops, etc. And um, I will now go into um, my reason for starting my organization, which is called Art for Refugees in Transition, or otherwise known as ART, A-R-T. And what we do is we work with refugees around the world and refugees, displaced communities, migrants, uh, marginalized communities that have been forced to leave their homes. And we work to help create programs where these communities are able to recapture, revive, and transmit their cultural heritage and traditions down to the youngest generation. So we try to work with grandparents to teach the children their cultural traditions and their heritage. Uh, Mostly these are things that are lost because of displacement, not out of choice, but just because they have been displaced due to war or some kind of natural disaster. And what is um, their 
culture, what is their tradition is usually forgotten because they are so focused on survival. And the way that our organization works is that we partner with organizations that are on the ground working already with these communities. So sometimes they're international organizations and sometimes they're local. And these partners already have the trust of the community, meaning that they've been working with them and the community trusts them so that when we are brought in as a partner, we have already a level of trust from the community. Um, and what we do is we have a curriculum where we train the elders in what to teach and how, not what exactly where we tell them you have to teach the children this, but how in a more formalized environment when you are not sitting around a fire singing your songs that maybe include the history of your people, but you're in a classroom or a community center or a clearing in a jungle with 50 kids or 30 kids and one or two elders. And so how do you transmit in that kind of environment? And so our curriculum is flexible. So it works in refugee camps, in com displaced communities and cities, wherever it can be adapted to these communities. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing about your organization. Um, I did want to go back quickly, though, because mm -hmm. it seems like you have quite a bit of um, experience in the dance field. And so did that influence how you started art or how does that shape the work that you do with art? Very good question. Um, that um, is actually was the sort of impetus, you could say, for my starting the organization. Um, when I had decided that I wanted to end my dance career, unfortunately, it's a career you can't have forever um, as a performer because your body doesn't necessarily agree. And I um, was trying to figure out what my next step would be. Uh, and I wanted to help people. I wanted to work with children. I wanted to do something international. I had lived abroad and traveled extensively, performed and worked with kids with dance with children, and was trying to figure out how I could find something that would translate to capture the passion that I have for dancing into the next stage in my life career. And during the winter of 1999, I'm not sure you were born yet, there was a, a war in the Balkans in Europe. And at that point, NATO had just joined and was bombing. And we were overwhelmed with images of refugees crossing over mountains, um, from war-torn villages into safe zones. And I remember seeing children in basically traveling with whatever family was left uh, in, in 
carts pulled by donkeys um, over mountains in Kosovo on their way to a cold and lonely place, um, literally and figuratively, because it was the middle of winter. And I thought about the trauma that these children have gone through. And I thought, you know, I've gone through some significant trauma in my life. And what I was able to turn to was my dance. People would say to me, oh, you need to talk about it. And I didn't want to talk. I wanted to go back to the studio. I wanted to take class. I wanted to rehearse and I wanted wanted to perform. And for me, that was the way that I could work through the trauma that I had endured. And I thought these poor kids, having seen horrors that we don't want to even think of, um, and unfortunately what we're now seeing currently in the Middle East. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if these children had a place where they could go to that they could dance, they could sing, they could do something that could help them be in touch with their feelings and somehow begin to work through the trauma that they've endured. Because adults don't always like to talk about their feelings or don't always like to work through trauma, through speech. And as they, uh, and, and children do not necessarily know how to verbalize how they are feeling. And I wasn't a mother then, I am a mother now, and I absolutely know that it's very difficult for children to find the words to understand what's going on. And um, as I was thinking about how it would be a gift to give these children a way for them to work through their trauma. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night at, I think it was four in the morning and said, oh my goodness, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to start arts programs for kids in refugee camps, which is a fabulous idea. But at four in the morning, um, you know, I suddenly sat up and thought, well, that's great, Sarah, but how, how are you actually going to do this? Because you've never been to a refugee camp. You've never done humanitarian aid work, so what's the next step? And I think this speaks to sort of my love of dance and how it found its way into creating art. And I decided that what I needed in order to make this idea real was I needed to learn how to run a company or an organization, because if you're for profit or not for profit, you still have to make money. I needed to have the credibility to start this and to ask people for funding. And I needed the vocabulary to have these conversations with potential funders. And I needed the confidence to know that I could do this. And I was trying to figure out what the next step would be and how would I pull all of those things together. And I ended up um, going back to school, to graduate school, and ended up 
with an MBA in finance and economics from Columbia University. And while with the sole intention of going to business school to start this organization. And while I was at school, um, I started working with the Entrepreneur Center and the idea was accepted into an incubator program. And then when I graduated, uh, the university very graciously gifted me seed money to start the organization. That's the story of the birth of art. That's incredible. And it seems like you guys have been pretty successful in what you have done. So just a couple follow-up questions on the way that you guys run your programming. So you mentioned your curriculum being focused toward the elders and really that community-driven work. What was it like going through um, the process for building that curriculum and making it successful? Sure. So we first started, um, our first program was in 2003. So the organization has now been in existence for 20 years, which is hard to believe. And we are a very small organization at the moment. It is myself and I have a country director who is in the West Bank in Palestine right now. We have a program there in a refugee camp. Obviously, not running at the moment for the past several weeks. And when building the curriculum was sort of a trial and error, the very first program we did uh, was just myself in 2003 in two Burmese refugee camps in the northwest of Thailand. And that was Basically, there was a written curriculum, sort of how do we start this, what do we need, um, and what is the process. And the curriculum had to be flexible enough that it could be implemented in a refugee camp in Thailand. And then two years later, it was implemented in a displaced community in Bogota, Colombia. In, um, in Latin America and has since moved to many different countries and communities. And building the curriculum was very much included working with the communities. What we have learned and what I have learned especially is um, in the humanitarian aid system, very much what happens, or at least start was happening in 2003 when I started this, was that there was a top-down process where the aid relief would come in and the relief workers would say, I can heal you and you need to do it my way. And here is what you need. I will give you food. I will give, 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 which unfortunately can create a culture of dependency where people are not it does not create something self-sustained, obviously, because people are consistently relying upon the aid. And when I started this, I thought, well, what if we empower the communities themselves? So it's more of what we call a bottom-up process. So when we go into these communities, building and working with our curriculum, we will say to the community, this is what we do. 
Is it something that's interested, interesting to you? Are you interested? Are your traditions and your heritage and your culture important to you? And there is always an overwhelming, resounding yes, no matter where we are in the world. And we will ask, is it something that you are now, given your displacement, teaching your children and your grandchildren? And pretty much there's mostly an overwhelming no but it's something that they want to continue and that is important to them. And from that, we work with the communities and each community is different in terms of what their culture is and what their heritage is and work with them to provide materials and provide training in how to work in a group. Again, I said like not sitting around a fireplace telling your stories to your grandchildren and your children, but what is it to be in a group with 30 children and two adults or elders? And what we've found is that the communities are, I I don't think in the 20 years I've done this, I have ever had a community say, no, it's not important, or no, we're not interested, or no, we don't want to do this, which to me, shows the importance of this and perhaps the need as well. Does that answer your question? Yes, definitely. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And so you've mentioned some challenges that you've faced um, since beginning art, but are there any others that you think are worth mentioning that you've been able to overcome or maybe haven't overcome as you've grown art? I would say uh, one of the biggest challenges that we have had is funding. As I said before, when we have gone into communities to present the possibility of working with them, there's never been somebody who said, we don't want this. And it's not that there isn't a need or desire. It's more the fact that there's very little funding out there. And when you think about the needs of refugees, migrants, displaced, marginalized communities, they need food, shelter, medicine, safety, all the primary things to help them survive. But what's often forgotten is that the core of a community and of an individual is their identity. And when they have been displaced and the environment has changed and the traditions and the culture is not with them, it does, it's very difficult to form communities and to have a communal identity or even an individual identity. Um, And this is really the basis of sort of community building is who are you and what are you? So um, one of the things we do when we work with these communities is to ask people. And I've actually had um, worked with uh, aid relief workers or even held workshops for college students to help them sort of understand the work that we do and why refugees or migrants need community. And if you 
ask anyone what is important to them and if they can think about what are what are the things that define you as a person and who taught them to you and where did they come from and invariably most people will say my grandmother or my grandfather or i remember cooking or i remember the stories and that they are what you hold closest to your heart for who you are and it is the reason why i advocate for the work that we do because it is so fundamental in having a human right to be a person yeah thank you so much for bringing that up i I guess as somebody who has had such a strong community their whole life, you don't realize necessarily what it's like to be without one. And so, yeah, thank you for the work that you do with those refugees. And so what has been the biggest thing that you've learned after spearheading art for the past 20 years? I would say that every community we have worked with have similar infrastructures and that every community we have worked with has seen the need and vocalized the need for their culture. And most importantly, to see the transformation Many people, and especially funders, will want you to have some sort of matrix through which you can evaluate and measure the efficacy of your work. And it's a very difficult thing to do with the work that we do because it's not how many times did they come to a workshop or did they smile before and now they're smiling. There are areas that you can measure, but most importantly, I think what I have seen is the transformation of the people themselves through their interactions with each other, their communications, and their sort of psychosocial outlook on, on life. And one thing that is we have seen um, and I have seen is the restoration of dignity. Because when you are displaced, either through war or natural disaster, your surroundings have changed. And you may have one of the uh, Syrian refugees that we were working with in Jordan had the biggest ice cream factory in all of Syria. And he was a very um, successful man. and. Suddenly everything was gone and he had to come with his family and had nothing. And his dignity was diminished because how he equated his self-worth was through what he had accomplished and suddenly it was gone. And when we provide these programs, the communities we work with will say, we 
you have given us something that we've missed. And I think that um, that is probably the biggest thing that I've learned is that the value of what we do is so deep for these people. Yeah, and I think that really drives home um, a point where we were thinking of this season as being art in terms of personal expression and individual expression, when really it's not only individual, it's also community expression and helping entire communities just transform and be the best that they can be. To brag on you guys a little bit, ART Art is one of the only six American NGOs that holds the qualification from UNESCO um, for the safeguarding of intangible cultural heritage. So what does this recognition mean to art? And you've talked a little bit about this, but how does it reflect your work with refugees specifically? Thank you. Um, We were very honored and humbled to receive this accreditation, which happened last year. Last summer, we received word. And last December, there's an annual UNESCO conference specifically about the safeguarding of intangible cultural heritage. So UNESCO has the World Heritage Sites, which is what most people know about, where there are cities and places all over the world that are protected under UNESCO. And then there's the intangible cultural heritage, which are what we work with, the songs and the stories and even the food and um, the music and the dance. And so to receive this accreditation um, was very much an honor. And their annual conferences in December, as I said, and so last year was the first year that we went um, and were able to present on the work that art does. We had several presentations. And at this conference are not only the UNESCO ambassadors from countries around the world, but there's also NGOs, non-governmental organizations like ART who have been accredited. And we were able to make connections with various different NGOs that became partners. And out of just one um, one week meeting in December last year, we ended up starting a program in Tajikistan where we're working with Afghan refugees in Cameroon, where we're working with internally displaced. And we're about to start something in Poland where we will be working with Ukrainian refugees. So it was a very successful opportunity. But one of the things it also did was give a voice and um, recognition uh, and notoriety, I guess, to the work that art does. What was also interesting was at the UNESCO meeting, we were the only ones working with refugees. People work in communities all over the world, helping them to preserve and present their intangible cultural heritage. But there wasn't any other organization at that time 
and I don't think there is yet still, uh, working specifically with the populations that we do, refugee, displaced, migrant populations. So that was a, um, and continues to be an incredible honor. So moving more toward the future, what lies in store for art? That is a very good question. We um, have been looking to work in the United States and we've had, we've tried twice and had workshops, one in upstate New York and uh, Utica, New York, and the other in New Haven, Connecticut, um, working with various different refugee communities that had been moved to the United States. And what we found was that for those populations, there were so many challenges ahead of them that the work that we did was not necessary at the moment. And our partners, which were resettlement organizations, were overwhelmed with dealing with housing, education, healthcare, all the things work, you know, finding employment for these people, that there really wasn't the place for us at that moment. However, um, my youngest son is in high school, and I had a meeting two weeks ago with um, his school with the principal and head social worker and the parent coordinator about working with the migrant families that have children in the school. So my son goes to a, a New York City public school. And as you probably know, New York is has a, a large population of migrants and the children go to school. And we are talking about how to provide programming for these parents and children because they're living in a very difficult place. And how can we art help? And um, we are working on that right now and trying to create some programming. And so I would love to see some sort of a playbook. You know, if we can implement one successful program to be able to use that and duplicate it around the city for um, schools, because usually it's the school that is the focal point for communities, especially if they're displaced or migrants, because the parents know they can trust the school. The kids go there every day and this would be a meeting place. So it would be a wonderful opportunity if this pilot worked to be able to duplicate it or replicate it in other schools. And in, in terms of art internationally as well, the more we grow, the more we help people and help communities. So. Yeah, thank you. I, I really look forward to hearing about how the um, pilot goes with the school. And so how can our listeners help art? Well, I'm assuming that your listeners are university students. Uh, I think Yeah, a good a good portion of them are or are parents or other migrants. Mhm. Mm I think that if 
it's something that they're interested in, we are open to talking about helping communities anywhere. So if on this podcast there are families or potentially community organizations that would like to see if it's possible to have a workshop or to have to implement a program, um, it is a great way to be involved in your community and to help. So we are open to anyone who has interest. Wonderful. And I think that was the end of my questions. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? I think that there is there's something very important no matter where you're from, no matter what station in life you have, that understanding your own identity and your own heritage and what you hold closest to your heart and to you in terms of what creates or created your identity is important to you, but it's also important that the empathy that one can have for people who have been displaced for whatever reason, that we hopefully look at all of us and with some sort of equality. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed getting to speak with you and thank you for sharing everything about art and how you've helped communities across the world. So yes, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Diana. And this is really, it's been an honor and a pleasure to, and I, I'm sure you will somehow share my contact information and the website if anybody has any questions and would like to contact me or read more about our work. Yes, they will definitely be in the show notes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. That was Sarah Green talking about her journey from professional dance to cultural heritage preservation for refugees. If you would like to support Art's mission and learn more about what they do, visit artforrefugees.org. To contact Sarah, email info at artforrefugees.org. You can also find them on Instagram at a.r.t.forrefugees. This will all be in the episode notes as well. If you like this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review us in the comments below. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com or at our University of South Carolina email address, sosrpa at mailbox.sc.edu. You can find us on our social media at Refuge Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. This show is produced by undergraduate students at the University of South Carolina. Your host for this week was Diana Clark. This episode was edited by Victoria Halsey and produced by Thrisha Mote. Our executive producers are Claire Mattis and Victoria Halsey. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next one.